Are you constantly running on fumes? Today, I'm going to show you how exhaustion has serious consequences on your decision-making and then what you can do about it. Because if you're exhausted, you're not your best at work. Let's go. Welcome to the Ken Coleman Show, where we help you win at work so that you're winning in your life. Research survey claimed that the average American only wakes up feeling rested three days a week. And you can find survey after survey after survey on uh, the value of sleep, how little people are getting, how much you need. It's, 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 it's all over the place. And we know inherently, we know nobody has to tell us. I, I didn't break any news today in saying that exhaustion is not good for you in your work life or your personal life. We know this. And yet we do a little bit about it. Saw an article from Health News diving into this topic because I want to focus our time on this exhaustion issue of how much work plays into this. And then how does it affect us at work if it's a non-work-related source of exhaustion? Maybe it's something going on in your personal life, physical life. So I want to look at this because optimal performance in your work, in your professional journey, has a lot to do with your rest, your energy, the sleep that you get. Exhaustion has serious consequences on your decision-making skills. How many of you have ever made a really boneheaded decision, largely because you were exhausted? I was sitting there thinking, you know, I, I, I can't remember a business decision that I've made uh, that was just really, really detrimental because I was tired. But I can think of multiple situations in my life uh, on a personal level where just being so mentally tired, uh, you can do, it can really affect your cognitive abilities. And I'll never forget, uh, it was about four or five months ago, um, I had been going pretty hard and not been feeling well and then had a very busy professional schedule and 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 just was really, really tired just going at it mentally, I've been exerting a lot of energy, and then I was physically tired as well. I was dealing with some some physical uh, neck, uh, neck pain, and I wasn't sleeping well. And we brought, we, we brought some friends of ours to one of our favorite restaurants, really fancy restaurant here in the area, and uh, really proud of it. And I had been there several times and had built a relationship with a sommelier because they have a wonderful wine cellar, and I wanted to, to treat our friends and he was going to do a great experience, and um, and I'd been several times, and like I said, and we showed up that night, and and I said hi to him like I normally did, and say, hey, can we do this? Can we do this? Can we do this? And I was referring to him by name, but I remember this particular night that every time I that I would talk to him, he was just a little off, and I thought to myself, huh, wonder what's going on with him. He seems a little off. Well, his name, by the way, is Max. But I wasn't calling him Max. I mean, no less than my wife said, you must have. She was she was trying to get my attention. She said no less than 10 times in interacting with him. You didn't call him Max. I don't even remember what I called him. I was so embarrassed when she finally revealed it to me. And I and I I I was so brain dead and I'm just carrying on, you know, uh, and I forget what I was calling him. But let's say that I was calling him. Uh, uh, Zach. I think that's what I was calling him. Zach this, Zach that. Guy's looking at him. He's trying to be polite. And I'm just looking him in the eye. Zach this, 
all this Zach. Let me meet Zach. Zach's a stud. Zach's going to take us on a tour. His name is Max, you bonehead. Well, I was so embarrassed when my wife finally told me. I pulled him aside. I said, hey, Max, my wife just made me aware that for 30, 40 minutes throughout our conversations, I've been calling you Zach, and your name is not Zach, and I know your name is not Zach. I am so sorry. I am, my brain is fried. And I just knew that I was tired. I wasn't sharp, and I could my recall was bad. It's just that simple. And I, and it was just I wasn't sharp. That's just a fun little story, but I read an article from Health News about our cognitive function. There's several issues that I pulled. I wanted to do some deep dive on this. I'm not a sleep expert, but I wanted to dive in and set the problem with being so exhausted mentally, emotionally, and then physically, because many times it goes in that order. What it does? Well, let's look at reduced cognitive function. You process information slower. You react slower. My restaurant example is a classic example. I don't know what the heck I was talking about. After only 24 hours without sleep, your brain is comparable to the cognitive impairment of someone with a blood alcohol content of 0.1%. Poor focus. Your attention span is shorter. So attention to details, deadlines, listening, speaking clearly. All of that requires the brain to be operating at a high level. And when you are essentially tipsy to drunk, and we all, well, some of us, know how we slow down in that situation. Hello, who wants to be that way in the office? It's You would never suggest to somebody they come to the office tipsy or, or, or try to get through the workday drunk. It's insane. And yet, that's what many of us are doing. Because it compounds. Two or three nights in a row with really bad sleep, starts to really compound and hurt our cognitive function. Impaired memory, difficult to recall info, uh, hard to make new memories. Impulsivity, fatigue increases your willingness to take risk with a focus on short-term gains. How about impulsivity as it relates to our emotions? Emotional irritability, mood swings, stress, anxiety. Let me tell you something. I can point back to times in my life where I've gotten triggered easily and I was very tired physically or I was emotionally exhausted and when we talk about exhaustion here I think it's important that we look at mental exhaustion where you've been exerting a lot of mental focus for a long time that's that's you can get exhausted mentally how about emotional you're just gritting through it you're in a job you don't enjoy or you're in a toxic environment or in your personal life you're just hanging on the whole grin and bear it Biting the stick, that takes a lot of mental and emotional toll on us, and that has a physical toll. So many times, the stuff you're dealing with in your relationship life or in your work life can have a tremendous impact on your physical life. How about stunted creativity? Even one night of sleep loss can hurt your ability to think creativity, excuse me, creatively. Maybe I didn't sleep well last night all of a sudden. Hello. And update your thinking so that you are pivoting quickly throughout your day. When you're exhausted, it is the the real feeling of being sluggish. Sluggish. And, and, and listen, when you're just dragging through mentally, physically throughout the day, you're not at your best. I would tell you, if you're in a highly strategic 
role or a highly creative role. Exhaustion can break you down pretty quickly. People will begin to wonder what's going on. I was recently in a meeting, uh, was not feeling well about a month ago, and I came into the office, and uh, I'll never forget, it was after the show, so I was already physically tired, mentally tired, and I was in a meeting, it was about 2.30 in the afternoon, and my brand leader, Damon, looked at me and went, hey, you need to go home. He goes, you're just not sharp, you're just struggling, sluggish. I went home, took a nap, 20-minute nap, got right back at it. It was unbelievable. Finished out the day, answered some emails, was sharp. It's real, folks. So, what are some things we can do to overcome this exhaustion? I'll tell you next. If you're enjoying the show on YouTube... Thank you very much. I would love your support to help us grow. We're growing, and that's because of you. Subscribe. Like the video that you're watching, and then share with somebody that you think it will encourage. And then same thing on uh, your favorite podcast app, if you're listening to us there. Uh, Give us a follow and uh, a five-star review and share as well. I would be grateful. So now that we understand the importance of not being exhausted and fighting exhaustion, so that we're winning at work, what do we do? What do we do to make sure that we're keeping it at bay? So the first thing is, is you need an actual plan. I wouldn't just, you know, go at this lighthearted. I would really do some homework, read a book on sleep. I'll give you some things that I've learned by interviewing sleep experts. But you need a plan, a plan that works for you, a routine, so that your body, after you get yourself in a situation where it's optimal for sleep, but now your body adjusts to it. You see, you need a plan. I think you need to be consistent on what time you go to bed to the best of your ability. And you're going to have some, you know, some, some times where you can't keep the schedule. But I think you need a, sp- a specific set time. And then I think you need a routine leading up to that time. So all the experts that I have talked to and interviewed, uh, no devices, no screens, two hours before bedtime. So if you go to bed at 10, at 8 o'clock, no more screens. Okay. Um, no caffeine, you know, after lunch or no caffeine at all. Some of you are freaking out right now. I, I love my coffee. I have two or three cups a day, but I don't drink any caffeine after lunch. Very, very rare. And then are you reading? Are you exercising? Taking a warm bath? You know, what, what, what'll get you sleepy? Um, I'll tell you what my wife did for me uh, on the, on the holiday, uh, Christmas time in my stocking, uh, she gave me a bag of uh, Epsom salts, and I thought, good grief, am I that old? She says, no, just smell it. So I looked on the bag, you know, I'm thinking to myself, Nathan, why do I need Epsom salts? I'm not an old man yet. So I look, and it's eucalyptus, and it smells fantastic, and it's a relaxing agent. So I've been known to take a hot bath before bed, very calming, you know, and then make sure the room is cool, the room is dark, you know. Uh, if you need some type of noise, make sure it's a healthy noise like a brown noise or a fan that's mild, you know, whatever it is, you got to come up with your routine that works for you. And that's your plan. Now, what happens if life gets crazy and it will, and you get outside of the plan? What do you do? I think it's okay for you to say, you know, the last two or three days, 
have been crazy because of this, this, and this. I don't want to postpone this meeting. I want to reschedule this meeting. Or I want to push this deadline to where I'm at my best. But see, we have a hard time doing that. And I understand there are times where that may not be possible. But I would suggest to you that I think it's a lot more possible than we think. Say, hey, I, I need a down day. I was talking to one of the leaders here at Ramsey Solutions recently and said, I got to be better at this. I go hard. I go fast. And I listen, I'm not looking for a pat on the back here, but Joe and I have worked together now for a very, very long time. He'll tell you, I go sometimes when I'm really, really sick. And I'm not, again, I'm not looking for an award, but how many times, Joe, have I gotten a shot just to be able to speak on the air? You've done it a bunch. A lot. I, I'm old school. It's not that I'm patting myself on the back. I just believe that you show up and you play hurt sometimes. But I, I can also tell you that I now realize that if you play hurt enough, then that begins to wear you down because of exhaustion. And so sometimes you just got to go, you know what? I can't go today. I love coming in and doing the show. You know, it's hard to get these professional athletes off the court or off the field. They love playing. Sometimes you got to go, I can't go today. You got to do that. I also think that there is a perceived weakness in sharing that we're really tired. I think there's a perceived weakness in slowing down and saying, you know what? I need to rest my mind. The data is interesting. I don't have an input for today's show, but it just occurred to me. I've seen a lot of data about American workers. You can look this up on your own. How many of them don't use all their vacation time? But I don't want to get locked into too much focus on vacation time because many times vacation time is, is nothing more than a Band-Aid. But overall rest is important. Mental rest. I'm going all the time mentally. So it's really important for me in my weeknights and weekends that I'm resting my brain. Science says that downtime is our superpower when it comes to creative decision-making. An examination of MRI scans revealed that even when you're not deliberately working on a task, your brain is still firing at 20%. That means your brain is just kind of gathering, filtering. Ferris Jaber with the Scientific American said, downtime is an opportunity for the brain to make sense of what is what it has already learned. That's why I will tell you that for years I've come up with some of my best ideas doing yard work because I'm just kind of going through the motions, I'm not exerting my brain. It's just kind of on autopilot at that 20%, if you will. But it is now pulling from all this other stuff that's in my head. Now, here's what downtime isn't. It isn't watching TV or scrolling social media because you think that's downtime, but your brain is actually fully engaged in a story or in the scrolling. The downtime is, you know, uh, behind the wheel of the car, you know, yard work walking and just turning everything else off and letting your brain do its own thing. So most people don't realize this. Uh, some of you right now are dealing with what I would call uh, some creative blockers. You feel like you're going, going, going all the time. And, and I will tell you something, and I have practiced this. I, I've touched on this a little bit, but I've practiced this myself. When I, when I feel like I'm stuck on an idea, come over the book title or maybe come over the product thing or something like that, and, I, and I'm really thinking through stuff, 
I have to get away and get quiet. I don't mean on a vacation. I just have to get out of the office and I got to go somewhere where it's really quiet. No phones, no devices, and just be. There's a spot in my neighborhood that I have that I go to a lot, and there's a spot at my house. In the neighborhood, it's a spot that is a beautiful little pond in the neighborhood. It's got a weeping willow tree that hangs over, and it's in the shade. And I like to take this little chair from the from the masters, those little tiny chairs, and I'll just sit there. And there's bullfrogs making noises. There's birds. There's the occasional rabbit or squirrel, the occasional car going by. But I don't look at my phone, and I just sit there. Now, I've got this thing I'm trying to get some breakthrough on. I've got this idea that I've lodged in my head. And I'm trying to get something on it, and I'll reset it. I'm sitting there thinking about it, but then I'll just stop thinking about it altogether. And I do this all the time. And once I stop trying to think about it, and I just get present in the moment, and I just begin to let my brain go, oh, there's a squirrel. Oh, there's a rabbit. Oh, a fish just jumped up. What am I smelling? Look at those plants over there. Oh, look at that house across the street. And I just begin to let my brain be. Now, it's back to that 20%. When you're not actively engaged, your brain is still operating at 20%. But now what is it doing? It's slowly rebooting, and it's beginning to act like those Google search engine crawlers that crawl the Internet, and they pull this. This is what ChatGPT uses. And so I go back to previous meetings, conversations, thoughts, and ideas come to me. And this just happened to me two weeks ago. I can't even tell you what the idea is. I'm so excited, but I can't tell you, but I was really stuck. Several different ideas. Couldn't figure out which one do I want to go with? Do I meld them together? Is it a completely different idea? And I just didn't have any peace about it. And I went to my spot. And when I went to my spot, five, 10 minutes or so, just started popping, popping. And I didn't leave. I didn't do anything with it. right? I just sat there. And I let the brain keep going and keep going and keep going. And then I finally said, all right, I got to do a voice memo and get these ideas down. Now, that's a form of rest, resting the brain that way. But resting your body, rest your body, rest your brain. And when you rest your body and you rest your brain, here's what I know. They are incredible machines, the body and the brain, and they'll serve you well. All you got to do is take care of your brain. Take care of your body. Watch your creativity and your career take off. Welcome back to the Ken Coleman Show. You were created to fill a unique role in your work that means you are needed and it means you must do it but how do you figure out what that role is is there a sweet spot for you that allows you to move professionally and always know you know this is the right seat on the bus or this is the seat on the bus that i need to get to it's possible and i created a tool to make it easier to do it's called the get clear assessment it measures three elements of you talent that's what you do best passion, work you love, and mission results that matter deeply to you. When I use what I do best to do what I love to produce results that matter to me, I'm in my sweet spot. I'm on purpose. I'm on the right seat of the bus. And watch what happens. The money happens as I needed to, and it's enough, no matter what that is. 
And more importantly, the meaning shows up. Money and meaning, enough of it. And you walk through life and you look back and you don't regret the choices you made. You can work and do work that you enjoy and be taken care of while you do it. The first part, the Get Clear assessment helps you with. It becomes your compass. It becomes that ultimate job description that you filter everything through. Go get it right now at kencoleman.com slash assessment, kencoleman.com slash assessment. All right, Alyssa is joining us in Atlanta, Georgia. Alyssa, you're on the Ken Coleman Show. Hi, Ken. Thank you so much for having me on the show. You bet, Alyssa. What's going on? Um, I guess I'll just jump right in. So I am 24. I've been married for two years, um, and I currently work as a nanny. But this is not what I want to be doing with my life. Um, since I was six years old, I have been writing music, and I've wanted to be a musician. And I have pursued that all the way up through college, um, but I didn't finish my degree. And in 2019, I stopped writing music. I stopped pursuing it. And the passion for that has not gone away. So my question is, is it realistic for me to pursue that as a career? Would it be something that I could make money from? Or is it more of something that I should just do as a hobby? Well, it's realistic for you to pursue it. I don't know if it's realistic for you to make really good money. I don't know. And 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 to some degree maybe even you don't know. We never know mm-hmm. how it's going to work out, but but is it realistic for you to pursue it at 24 uh being married, no kids I'm guessing? Yeah. I think it's absolutely realistic. Um the question is what do you want to pursue? What's the mountaintop? And if we don't make it up the mountain, what's along the way that would still be pretty amazing? And I think that's the mindset you have to have. So let's just dream. I don't want you to be ashamed of this. You shouldn't be ashamed of it. But what do you want? What did you always want to do? What would have been the, oh my gosh, dream come true around music for you? What would it be? Um, probably writing my own worship music and being a worship pastor who travels. Okay. I don't think that that is, uh, in any way a crazy pursuit. I think that is a worthy pursuit. All right. So let's just play this out. That example you just gave me, let's play it out. So you start writing worship music again. You maybe brush up some of your old stuff. You start leading worship because that's the that's the first thing we need to start doing. Even if you're volunteering, you've got to start getting up and leading worship in churches, uh, youth camps, anywhere where they need someone to lead worship. You need to be volunteering in your area. Okay, that's just yeah. that's step number one. We'll come back to that in a minute. But let's say we play this out, and let's say you go after it, and you write some songs. And you play them in churches and everything like that, but you never get a publishing deal and you never travel as a well-known worship leader, but you are a worship leader. I would call that, we didn't get all the way up the mountain, but we're on the mountain. And would that not be meaningful to you? Absolutely, yeah. Of course. So I think it's absolutely realistic that you pursue that, and I think you need to pursue it with everything you got because the fallback is pretty amazing. So the question is, why did you stop writing in 2019? Um, I really just stopped believing in myself. So I, I 
have a, a gift where I hear um, music in my sleep. And before I, I knew, I still don't know how to play piano, but I would hear piano melodies that I knew that I was supposed to write. And I just got really discouraged and I stopped trying to, to learn how to play. And I don't have those anymore. Now I have dreams of, of songs, of lyrics that I'm supposed to write. And I'll wake up and I'll hear it and I'll record it. And then I just, I never do anything with it. And I've kind of made it about me. Yeah. Um, and I think I kind of just became selfish along the way. Maybe, maybe, maybe a touch of selfishness, but in a, in a way of protecting yourself. I think you're protecting yourself from rejection. I think you're absolutely right. Hmm. I took a guess there. What makes me right? What has happened to where I was able to feel that or, or, or guess that? What happened? I, I went to college to be a worship pastor, and I interned three years under our pastor, um, and we just didn't have a great relationship, mm. and I, I ended up doing a lot of behavioral modification and people-pleasing to try to prove myself worthy to these leaders, um, but it never seemed like what I did was enough, and, and so I, I didn't really get the opportunities that I was working so hard for. Um, And I was told that I was prideful too. So I ended up just hiding myself away because I thought that they were right. I thought that I was being prideful. Um, When you look back on it now, when you look back on it now, do you think that's true or false? I think that's very false. Yeah. Yeah. Here's what happens when, when we try to please other people, we are trying to quiet the voice in our head that says we aren't enough. They don't think I'm enough, so I need to show them enough. But what we're that's that's how we act. But what's really going on is we're trying to give evidence to that person that we're enough so that we believe we're enough. Isn't that the weird thing about that? Yeah. I'm trying to make you think I'm enough so that I think I'm enough. Yeah. And what we ought to be doing is going, wait a second, am I enough? And the answer is yes. So they don't think I'm enough. No big deal. I'm enough. I move on. And I think that's what's happened to you. And I understand that. I I went through that. I had a guy in radio tell me that I didn't have enough talent to make it in Atlanta. You know, the city's too big. It's this market. This media market's too big for you, Ken. And I believed him for a while. And And I think what happens is, is when that becomes the narrative in our head that we're not enough, then we begin to protect ourselves. And the only way to protect ourselves is to remove this thing that our heart keeps going, do it, do it. I would agree with that. You said that, you know, the media market was too big. And that's kind of the thing that I've told myself is, well, everybody wants to be a musician. Everybody wants to be a worship leader or independent artist. Why would you have what it takes to make it? Well, here's the deal. We don't know if you have what it takes to make it at that traveling level. We don't know. Mm-hmm. But I think along the way, we we find out, we figure that out one way or the other. I think you'll figure out, no, I don't, I don't, that's not my thing. You know, for instance, if I go play golf with better golfers, it doesn't take me more than about two holes to realize I'll never be as good as that guy. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? It doesn't mean that I can't enjoy golf. 
And, and so I think right now you need to go for it. So it starts with two things, two things on the homework assignment for you. Number one, you need to start writing again and you need to start sharing those songs with people, not your husband, not your mom and dad. You can do that, but it needs, you need to start playing those songs. It's just like me. Okay. It's like me trying to write a book or come up with a talk. I got to test it and see if people respond to it. And so write and then lead. Lead and write. Find somewhere to lead worship and start leading. Get in rotation. If it's only once a month right now, get once a month. Start writing worship songs and share the songs. And don't stop. Don't ever stop again because here's what I know. If you never make it as a published worship leader or a traveling worship leader, there will always be churches that need someone to lead worship, number one. And that's a ministry, not a hobby. Number two, it's who you are. They're coming to you in your sleep. You got to be you. The world needs it. This is the Ken Coleman Show. Press on. Thanks for listening to the Ken Coleman Show. For more, you can find the show on demand wherever you listen to podcasts and watch the show on YouTube. You can also find Ken across all social media by following at Ken Coleman.